Good morning, friends. Today's message as we continue in our series on Philippians is called Fear Not, Press On. It comes from Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. If you want to continue to make this year a good year and continue maybe, hopefully, prayerfully, the good start you've begun, we need to begin in the right place. The text this morning helps us at the level of personal motivation by revealing the heart of our faith. It begins with a humble evaluation in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. There is a refreshing honesty about these words. If anyone had reason to brag about his accomplishments, you'd think it would be the Apostle Paul, but he doesn't do that. Despite having met the Lord on the Damascus Road, despite having preached across the eastern Mediterranean region, despite being an apostle called by God, despite writing letters inspired by the Holy Spirit, despite all that he had endured, he does not brag about anything he has said or done. None of that matters to him. He knows that he is a sinner saved by grace. In another place, he even calls himself the chief of sinners. That's in 1 Timothy 1.15. Despite all that he had done, he makes no claim of being perfect or having arrived in his own spiritual journey. There is no perfection in this life. That fact is hard for some people to grab a hold of. I mean, several times lately I've had the chance to share a truth that's both simple and profound. Whenever we face a difficulty in life, we must begin by saying, it is what it is. And that's not easy to do. Often we'd rather play games, make excuses, cover up, pretend, ignore the obvious, or live in a fantasy land. You can't get better until you come to grips with reality. It is what it is. It's hard to admit admit your marriage is in trouble. It's hard to admit your career is on the rocks or that your dreams are smashed. It's hard to admit your kids are struggling or that you're broke or that you have a problem with alcohol. It's hard to admit you've got a critical spirit or that you're filled with anger. But there is no getting better until you say, it is what it is. And then by God's grace, we go on from there. And note that Paul plainly says, I have not yet obtained. One translation says, I do not claim that I've already succeeded. In the Phillips translation, it says, I do not consider myself to have arrived spiritually. You see, there's always a danger, especially for those who have been Christians for a long time. It's easy to become a professional Christian that you look down your nose at the struggles of others and say, you know, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that man. It's easy to become insensitive to sin because you think you're somehow above it. Martin Luther remarked that pride is so deep within us that we must repent of our repentance by which he meant that even our repenting is tinged with pride. For example, look at me. I'm honest enough to repent of my sins. I'm not like you. I don't cover things up. Sin is so much of us that even our confession contains within it the seeds of our next transgression. Were it not for grace, none of us could ever stand before the Lord. I wrote the following on Facebook, my Facebook status about seven years ago. It's this. A good thought to start the year. I'm not as strong or as wise or as I think I am, but God is stronger and wiser than I can imagine. An amazing number of people like that update. I think they liked it because it expresses a truth that we all know but can't quite say out loud. In our better moments, we know the truth. We're not as smart or as clever as we think we are. We're not as wise or as good or as strong as we think we are. The only thing that keeps us going is this. Jesus is a wonderful Savior. 
and he is everything that we are not. And the supreme purpose of my life then is to discover his purpose for me. And he's a great God because he is strong, he's wise, he's good, he's holy, he's righteousness, righteous, he's loving, he's merciful. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is all of these things all of the time, far more than we can imagine. And second in this, uh, our text today, there's a holy aspiration. Verse 12 goes on, it says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now pause for a moment and think over that last phrase, Christ Jesus took hold of me. See, the whole Christian life can be found in those six words. Christ found me, Christ saved me, Christ has a purpose for my life. The supreme purpose of my life is to discover his purpose for me. And it takes a lifetime. It takes hard work and concentration. That's what he means when he says, I press on. It leads to progressive growth and grace, and it develops the character of Jesus in me. And third, there is a hearty determination. Verse 13 says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I hope you note the kind of a fierce concentration implicit in the words, one thing I do. Now, here's a secret that applies across the board. To excel in any area of life, a person must say, this one thing I do, not these 20 things I do. A single-minded focus in any endeavor generally wins a great reward. A great artist must say, one thing I do. A gifted teacher or a championship athlete must say, one thing I do. A single parent raising her child must say, one thing I do. A student who wants to graduate with honors must say, one thing I do. Greatness comes to those who can say with the Apostle Paul, one thing I do. In his case, it meant looking to the heavenly goal of winning the prize. That phrase covers all that God has done for us when we finally stand before Jesus and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, most of us would rather say many things I do, and it would be true because we are fragmented people. But Paul, who was the consummate man of action, could truthfully say one thing I do. It might be very good for each of us to look in the mirror and ask, do you know what you're doing? See, we're all good at making lists, and to be quite honest, I'm rather good at it myself. In fact, I can make a list as long as my arm and then trick myself into thinking that my list equals my life. Or I can think that if I've got a list, I've got a clear purpose. But it's not true. A list without a purpose is just a list. It keeps me busy, or at least looking busy, but what good is a list without a larger purpose? Paul clarifies his purpose with two key key phrases. One is this, forgetting what lies behind. In Charles Flood's book, Lee, the last years, he tells of a time after the Civil War when Robert E. Lee visited a woman who showed him the remains of a grand old tree in front of her home. And there she cried bitterly that its limbs and trunks had been destroyed by Union artillery fire. She waited for Lee to condemn the North or to at least sympathize with her loss. But Lee stood there for a while, paused and said, cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. Surely this is a good word for a new year or at least a new month. I mean, what are we to forget? How about our worries or our fears or our failures? How about forgetting our victories or defeats or the attacks of our enemies or the praise of our friends? We need what I might call holy amnesia. Let us lay aside all of the accomplishments of this past year, our claim to fame, our name in the lights, the good things we 
think we have done, the stuff we do to make the world glad that we get out of bed in the morning, all the things we brag about, all the medals and honors and the awards. I'm an old coach, and I know that a lot of coaches say last year means nothing. I mean, today is the day of the Super Bowl, and the coach ought to say, you know, if we won the Super Bowl last year, it means nothing. Whatever happened in 2018, you've got to let it go. As long as we're looking back, we can't move forward. We need to be pressing on to what lies ahead. When the famous missionary, Dr. David Livingston, returned to Africa from England, he was asked, where are you ready to go next? He said, I'm ready to go anywhere, provided it be forward. This needs to be the attitude of the child of God every single day. Lord, I'm ready to go wherever you lead, no matter what that, where that takes me. And so many of us make our list and then say, Lord, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm busy today, so could you just initial this at the bottom and I won't bother you anymore. But friends, that's not how it works. When people ask about the secret of God's will, I tell them it begins in the morning when you say, Lord, let me take the next step with you today. Imagine today on a Super Bowl Sunday, a key play near the end involving a runner stretching out for the goal line. As the opposing team gang tackles him, he stretches the ball out as far as he can. Now the question is, did the ball in fact break the plane of the goal line before he fell to the ground, before his knees hit? Now at first it might be hard to tell in the pile of players, but one replay later shows that just barely, by a matter of inches, he had pushed the ball across the goal line. That's the sort of effort that wins in football and in the Christian life. Now, fourth, we also need a heavenly inclination. Verse 14 says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In the spiritual life, direction makes all the difference. I mean, true believers aren't in heaven yet. They, they just aim their steps in that direction. In Paul's case, that involved both a sanctified forgetting and a resolute pushing forward. In 1905, a young man entered Yale University. His family intended that after completing his degree, he would enter a suitable career in America. But in college, God gripped his heart with the needs of China, and he volunteered to go to that country with the gospel, much to the dismay of his family and friends. He left America, but he never made it to China, dying before reaching the distant shore. After his death, a note was found in his Bible that summarized his life. It read, No reserves, no retreats no regrets. I wonder how many of us could say the same thing. Paul said, I have not arrived yet, but I'm still climbing. If he were today, here today, he would say, don't worry, press on. It's not enough to start well. You must also end well. Now, someone has commented that the chief problem of the church today is that we have too many, quote, amateur Christians. I think he meant that we have too many who just dabble at their faith. They're like the man who jumped on his horse and rode furiously in all directions. Let me pose three questions for you to consider. What is the goal of your life? Why do you get up in the morning? Why are you still here? Now, no one can say with certainty what the new year will bring or if we will even be here 12 months from now. But that thought should not alarm us in any way. To all our worries, the Lord says simply, fear not. Will things get worse? Fear not. Will I lose my health? Fear not. Will I get cancer? Fear not. Will I keep my job? Fear not. Will my loved ones undergo hardship? Will my investments collapse? Will I run out of money this next year? Fear not. 
Will tragedy strike my family or will my kids disappoint me or will others ridicule my faith? Fear not. Will my church plans come to nothing or my dreams turn to ashes? Will I face death this year? Fear not. We of all people ought to be optimistic in this new year. We have a great future because we have a great God. So as someone said a long time ago, stop staring in the soup. Pull those shoulders back, put a smile on your face, take up your troubles, wrap them up, and give them all to the Lord. We'll have our share of hard times, but overriding it all is the promise of God who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So lift up your head, be of good cheer. The Lord is with you. Don't worry, press on. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.